0: Mowgli, a healthy young Rottweiler, and his human guardians, moved to a neighborhood in Nevada, and soon after that, he began losing weight, developing sores in his mouth, and he became so weak that his legs gave out from under him when he struggled to go on a walk. Turns out a lot of pet owners in the neighborhood worry about their own pets, as many of them began showing alarming symptoms and a number had died. The neighbors noted that the neighborhood park, lawns, and walkway edgings in the area were frequently being sprayed by a company hired by their neighborhood association. And it turned out that the chemicals included glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup. Hi, I'm Kate Sussman, and this podcast examines the effects of the chemicals we spew on our lawns, gardens, school athletic fields, parks, and golf courses, all in the service of our obsession for the perfect green monoculture lawn. Today's episode, Marinating in a Toxic Stew Part C. In this episode, we'll discuss Roundup, glyphosate, and also the overuse of fertilizers. When the news reporter Darcy Spears who covered Mowgli's story in the summer of 2022 did a little digging. She found that other homeowners associations in Nevada and parts of California have lawn care company contracts that include the regular application of pesticides and herbicides, notably Roundup. The pesticides are making the residents' pets sick. Often, though, neighbors don't talk much about their pet illnesses and many don't connect the dots, particularly in neighborhoods that don't have communal parks, but rather take care of their own lawns. I was at my hardware store a few weeks ago and walked over to the huge section of lawn chemicals. I couldn't get too close because the fumes emitting from the closed containers were already strong enough to make me a little woozy and gave me a headache. On the shelf system that was 12 feet wide and over six feet high were dozens of bottles and jugs of weed and grass killer. By far the most plentiful was Roundup. The active ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate, which is an organophosphate supposed to very specifically kill weeds by affecting a plant specific enzyme. Massive advertising from Bayer Monsanto for decades has claimed that Roundup is safe enough to drink. About eight years ago, with reports of possible cancer associated with glyphosate, a Canadian scientist working for the chemical industry was interviewed and claimed it's safe enough to drink. That interview went viral on the Internet. Here's an excerpt from that newscast.
1: Last Sunday, we told you about a WHO report that listed several chemicals as potentially cancer-causing,
0: including glyphosate, found in the popular weed killer Roundup.
1: Now, in an interview for an upcoming French documentary, a Canadian scientist has been caught in an Aaron Brockovich-like moment when he's asked to defend that chemical against links to cancer rates in Argentina. Take a look. I do not believe that glyphosate in Argentina is causing increases in cancer. You can drink a whole quart of it and it won't hurt you. Yeah, uh, you want to drink some? We have some here. I'd be happy to, actually. But yeah. Not not really, but not really. I know it wouldn't hurt I mean, me. If, if, if you say so, okay, I have some glyphosate. No, no, I'm not stupid. Ah, okay, so you... you, you No, but I know... So this, it's dangerous, I right? No, know, know people try to commit suicide no, with no, it and fail yeah, let's, fairly let's, regularly.
2: The truth, It's, it's not dangerous, dangerous
1: to humans. No, it's no. not. So are you ready to drink one glass of no, glyphosate? No, I'm not an idiot.
0: The clip is being shared widely. The half-life of glyphosate itself is about 187 days, which is half a year. When dried after application, it and its breakdown products can become airborne or be carried by rainwater or sprinkler systems to wherever the water runs. This means that As we continue to repeatedly apply glyphosate to our lawns green spaces and farms and schoolyards the toxin continues to make its way all over the planet running off from our lawns into our waterways from there to lakes rivers and even the ocean. I mentioned in a previous episode that the active ingredient in a lawn care chemical product is not the only ingredient that is toxic. There are chemicals that help the glyphosate be absorbed by plants to resist UV light degradation and to stay in the soil longer after a rainstorm. This complex stew of chemicals is virtually unregulated, and it's not possible to uh, get a list of the extra ingredients from the label. The addition of these chemicals is designed to make the active ingredient more potent and to stay around longer in the environment, In other words, they increase the toxicity of the overall product that you apply to your lawns. A 2014 study by researchers in France showed that the toxicity of several very common pesticides, including glyphosate, as well as several neonics and fungicides commonly available, was up to 1,000 times more toxic as their commercial formulations than when they were tested as an isolated active ingredient. Even worse, the glyphosate eventually breaks down, and into equally toxic byproducts that include a compound called AMPA that is toxic to bees, birds, fish, and frogs, and that stimulated antibiotic resistance in soil bacteria. And another breakdown product contributes to carbon emissions. Residues of glyphosate and the breakdown products can be found in bread flour, honey, cereals, beer, wine, milk, eggs, chicken, fish, vegetable oil, and drinking water. Since glyphosate was introduced to the lawn care market in the mid-1970s, scientists have accrued increasingly scary information of links to cancer and a host of other health issues. In 2015, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, classified glyphosate as a probable carcinogen. Some countries and a few states in the U.S. have banned or plan to ban glyphosate, but it's still plentiful and heavily marketed in the U.S. and many other countries. Glyphosate can be found in soils that weren't treated, along with groundwater, our food, and even the rain. Over the past 20 years alone, our exposure to glyphosate has increased 500%, according to an article in Environmental Health News from March of 2022. It turns out that glyphosate-containing herbicides are very toxic to us and wildlife. Just in the last five years, almost 1,000 scientific articles have been published on the toxicity of glyphosate to animals of all kinds including effects on reproductive, neurological, immunological, and metabolic health. Like other OPs, glyphosate has widespread harmful effects on wildlife as well as human health. The harms outweigh the benefits. A 2021 study from a panel of international scientists reviewed studies published between 2000 and 2020 and found disturbing reproductive health risks linked to pesticide use in Croatia, Belgium, Scotland, the US, Denmark, and Germany. Another study that looked at health data from 2001 to 2018 found an increased incidence of Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and irritable bowel disease in people exposed to glyphosate. Yet another review from 2020 written by scientists at Laval University in Quebec points out that glyphosate and its commercial formulations have been linked to a heightened risk for miscarriage and preterm birth in humans, as well as correlations with Down syndrome and cleft palate. In adults, there are increasing links between repeated glyphosate exposure, such as from regular spraying of Roundup, and a host of issues from low sperm count to inflammatory illnesses, to the development of allergies and asthma. A public webinar that came out about a year ago summarizes the growing knowledge of how harmful glyphosate is to our health. Dr. Stephanie Seneff, a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, summarized some of the harmful effects of glyphosate on our gut microbiome, which is essential to our health. Let's listen to just a bit of that webinar.
1: And so glyphosate is an endocrine disruptor. This has been finally figured out. And, and now there's uh, lots of papers coming out showing that that's, a, a, um, that that's true. I said it's a slow kill. It takes. It's insidious and cumulative. It actually takes time to accumulate in your body for your symptoms to appear. And then many studies are coming out in the past few years are showing diverse uh, adverse consequences of low-dose exposures, even transgenerational. And this study showed that, uh, that many of our microbes have this uh, vulnerable uh, enzyme. 54% of the species that they found in the human gut microbiome were sensitive to glyphosate. It precursors to the neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, um, adrenaline, and also to thyroid hormones. So all of these are going to be suppressed, uh, de- deficient, if these aren't being produced by the gut microbes. And I mentioned the vitamin K2 and also several B vitamins all come out of that corresponding pathway and glyphosate blocks that. Um, So this was a very interesting paper back in 2014 where they found that they compared Roundup to glyphosate in terms of acute toxicity. And they said that in spite of the fact that Roundup was considered among the safest pesticides, it was by far the most toxic among all the herbicides and insecticides that they tested. And then they, they talked about this inconsistency between scientific fact and industrial claim that could be attributed to huge economic interests, which have been found to falsify health risk assessments and delay health policy decisions.
0: Okay, it seems pretty clear that glyphosate is dangerous for people, particularly when mixed with all those unnamed ingredients that make it stick to plants, protect it from UV light, and stabilize it at a range of temperatures and environmental conditions. The evidence for the harms to wildlife is even more compelling. Glyphosate is heavily used on lawns, gardens, public spaces, and golf courses. Glyphosate is also used to reduce weeds in lakes and water reservoirs and recreational water areas. Glyphosate, as Roundup or other formulations, is used to control sidewalk crack weeds in urban and suburban areas, as well as along roadsides. As Roundup, it's readily available at local hardware stores and garden centers. It's everywhere and is used heavily on and off farms. When it rains or after watering lawns and green spaces the glyphosate runs off the grass and enters storm drains and runs downhill to join streams and rivers. Roundup use has been linked to reductions in insects and stream invertebrates and birds and frogs and fish populations. When the herbicide kills weeds and unwanted plants in lakes and reservoirs the decaying vegetation essentially uses up the oxygen in the water, which kills the fish and aquatic invertebrates. And of course, because Roundup, glyphosate, is a broad-spectrum herbicide, when it runs off treated lawns and golf courses in public spaces into streams and lakes, it kills off the non-weed vegetation, which has domino effects for the wildlife, like fish, frogs, ducks, other birds that depend on that vegetation. Glyphosate directly harms invertebrates like insects, as well as fish, amphibians, and birds. Many studies have demonstrated that there are reproductive harms and birth defects, including in mammals like white-tailed deer. Many studies have documented damage to nervous system function. Many studies have shown immunosuppressive effects. The science is overwhelming that this OP herbicide is catastrophic for ecosystems. So, why isn't glyphosate banned in the US? The short answer is that big business has untoward influence over our politicians and regulatory agencies. For example, the EPA says, Quote, research indicates there are no risks to public health when glyphosate is used in accordance with its current label and that glyphosate is not a carcinogen, Unquote. This still holds on their website, even despite the 2015 determination by the IARC that glyphosate is a probable carcinogen. The EPA and the USDA claim that glyphosate levels found in human urine and tissues are within quote acceptable levels, levels that are set by the EPA. Of course, this is the active ingredient alone, not in the mixtures that are sold to us where the toxicity is 1000 times higher. People continue to sicken. Wildlife continues to suffer catastrophic and probably irreparable loss. In the US, more than 100,000 lawsuits have been filed since the 2015 IARC classification of glyphosate as a probable carcinogen. As part of the discovery process during litigation of the lawsuits, there is clear evidence that Monsanto engaged in unlawful and deceptive practices with regard to the accumulating science that glyphosate is harmful to humans and to many other organisms in the environment. Monsanto paid researchers to put their names on bogus scientific papers written by Monsanto employees claiming that glyphosate is not harmful. They also hired a consultant group to write a comprehensive review of the research that concluded glyphosate is safe, another bogus tactic. Monsanto also organized and orchestrated retractions of legitimate scientific papers that showed the toxicity of glyphosate by pressuring editors of journals and creating phony outrage letter campaigns. Monsanto even placed an executive on the editorial board of a prominent journal to work to prevent real scientific findings from getting published. Even worse, Monsanto worked closely with EPA officials in 2015 to derail their review of glyphosate. In 2019, Bayer, which bought Monsanto in 2018, reached a settlement of $78 million to a couple who developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from exposure to Roundup. In 2020, the company agreed to an $11 billion settlement for about 80,000 of the 100,000 lawsuits. But in the latter half of 2022, Bayer has been successfully fending off some of the lawsuits, particularly those filed in Missouri. The lawsuits keep coming. Not only this form of cancer, but glyphosate has been linked to a host of other health problems. Like I mentioned earlier, OPs have been shown to cause neural tube defects and to interfere with brain development, particularly areas of the brain involved in sex-specific behavior and hormone regulation, and also with reproductive organ development. Developing organisms and young children are particularly vulnerable, as are adolescents. These effects have been demonstrated in fish, birds, and mammals exposed to glyphosate. In a New York Times article published in the summer of 2022, author Tick Root stated that Bayer plans to stop selling glyphosate-based products for residential use in the U.S. in 2023. But it will continue the use in agriculture and other markets because it maintains it is safe if used in in accordance to the directions. That sounds great, right? Well, not really. For example, one product that's in plentiful supply in stores near us is Scott's Weed and Feed, which I mentioned in Part A of this series. Scott's is proud to announce that the product no longer contains glyphosate. Guess what it has in it now, though? 2,4-D. In November 2022, Bayer reported record profits that were due in part to glyphosate sales, in part because of an increase in the price after reports of supply chain shortages caused by hurricane damage to some production operations, and also driven by sharp increases in sales to Latin America. Bayer's profits were so high that they're no longer concerned about the impact of pending lawsuits from the U.S. I wonder if Bayer will actually follow through with their plans to remove glyphosate from residential products. And even if they do, we know that 2,4-D and endosulfan stand at the ready. The last chemical group I'd like to discuss is the overuse of synthetic fertilizers. You've all probably known that the overuse of fertilizers is very harmful to the environment because the runoff in our streams, lakes, rivers, and seas leads to harmful overgrowth of algae called blooms that choke off the oxygen to fish and other aquatic organisms, causing horrific die-offs and dead zones. In my neck of the woods, there's a lake that used to be, more than 20 years ago or so, a recreation spot for swimming, boating, and fishing. As the residential developments surrounded the lake and homeowners created their immaculate green monoculture lawns, the fertilizer runoff has made the lake too dangerous for people to swim in. And in the summer months, there's a terrible smell emanating from the lake as algae bloom and then die and decompose. The same story plays out all across the country. But what you might be less aware of is that the chemical fertilizers contain measurable levels of heavy metals like cadmium, zinc, mercury, chromium and arsenic. As you layer the fertilizers on your lawn multiple times a year, the levels of these hazardous metals build up in the soil and in your lawn. The metals also change the pH of the soil, which enhances the plant uptake of the metals, which can cause plants to sicken and die, as well as increase the uptake of metals by pollinator insects and birds and other wildlife in the area that eat exposed vegetation. The runoff of the metals seeps into our water supply. Direct contact on our skin and through accidental ingestion with these contaminated soils can get into our bodies and infect our health, Especially children and pets. Another toxic aspect of fertilizer overuse is that the chemicals, which are ultimately produced from fossil fuels, chemically react with sunlight and heat, as well as with other chemicals in the soil like pesticides, to produce toxic byproducts like ammonia, nitrates, and nitrites, as well as gaseous nitrous oxide, which is a potent greenhouse gas. And these chemicals also get into our water and food. Nitrate consumption from contaminated water has been linked to blue baby syndrome in infants and stomach cancer in adults. The more you apply fertilizer, the more harm you do to your lawn and the environment around your lawn. So your lawn starts to look sick after a while and you think it needs more fertilizer. The immediate response of grass to fertilizer is to rapidly turn green and grow so you think it's a good thing. But over time, the damaging effects of the fertilizer turn the grass less green and even a little brown or cause it to brown earlier in the summer. Despite how things look in the beginning, the fertilizers do more harm than good and the lawns become dependent on the fertilizers. That bright green is actually a toxic glow. An alternative to applying the synthetic fertilizers to your lawn is to use non-medicated chicken feed. It can be spread in the summer and is really helpful to the soil. There are also organic compost mixes now available that don't contain human or animal manure. The compost from the leaves that fell the previous fall, if you rake them into a pile or mulch them with your mower and leave them in your grass, is another terrific way to fertilize your lawn. The bottom line is to nurture the soil and its organisms, not the grass. So I wanna pull out a few points that are embedded throughout this group of episodes on the toxic chemical pesticides and fertilizers used on lawns, parks, schoolyards, and golf courses. I noted in the first of this group of episodes that there are more than 17,000 different products out there of just a few major classes of chemical. Many are used in agriculture, but many are used by homeowners and for green spaces where we live and work. Why so many? One big reason is that over time, the massive application of any particular pesticide formulation leads to the weed or pest evolving resistance to the pesticide. This is exactly what happens with antibiotic resistance. So in response to the resistance, the chemical companies create new products at higher concentrations or with different chemical additives to enhance toxicity or in different combinations with other pesticides. As the compounds become less and less effective, the companies develop slight chemical variations to overcome the resistance or they go back to compounds that have been used previously, often much more toxic ones. In the case of glyphosate-resistant weeds, now a company called Corteva has released a concoction called Enlist Duo, which is a mixture of 2,4-D and glyphosate, and it's being heavily marketed to farmers and retailers. The second reason there are so many products out there is that the big agrochemical business is in the profit business. They regularly release new and improved versions different formulations geared toward different parts of this huge market. For example, a couple summers ago, I noticed massive advertising for a product to clean your patio and lawn furniture with a built-in pesticide, a neonicotinoid, covered in the previous episode, in order to make your outdoor picnics bug-free. The market continues to just expand and expand, more toxic chemicals in more areas of our lives. These mammoth chemical companies discovered an enormous market for profit when they tapped into the American lawn obsession. As I mentioned in the first episode, the lawn care industry is growing at an eye-popping rate of over 5% per year, with some sectors growing at more than 8%. Of course, It's a goal of the big companies to continue to grow their profits and so their messaging to us homeowners and businesses saturates and brainwashes us to believe that we need to apply chemicals and fertilizers regularly and religiously to keep our lawns perfectly green. We are told that a manicured green lawn is an expectation of homeowners, that our property value is dependent on a perfect lawn, that our standing in our neighborhood is reflected in the quote quality of our lawn, and indeed a quality lawn is a monoculture of green grass. A mark of a good homeowner and a good neighbor is to apply chemicals and devotedly cut, weed whack and blow our lawns every week without fail. The average U.S. homeowner spending on lawn care has more than doubled since 2014. This is a business run amok. The third reason there's so many chemicals out there is that as the science and public pressure mounts against the toxicity and health problems associated with a particular pesticide, and as laws and regulations go after particular chemicals, The industry remains at least one step ahead, creating similar but different versions to evade regulation. As long as we have a political and regulatory culture that has the chemical industry itself providing the safety information in order to get approval, we'll continue to see approvals and distribution of toxic chemicals out into the public to endanger our health and endanger the wildlife around us. The companies are not looking out for us or the environment, no matter what their messaging claims. Don't be fooled. Whatever happened to Mowgli, the dog in Nevada exposed to glyphosate? The owner posted an update to TikTok.
2: Give you an update on that video that I posted last week. Unfortunately, Mowgli became really sick the day after I posted that video, and we had to rush him to an emergency room in town where they thought that he had meningitis so we drove him to um, an area two hours away it was a bigger city to see if we could get that treated um, see if we can get him an mri just to see what was going on thankfully by the time we got there though he did snap out of it he was standing for a long time Um, He couldn't lay down. He couldn't move his neck. But by the time we got there, he was doing better. um, And they diagnosed him with arthritis. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit more information about this product, Glyphosate, and what it does to the body, because we are seeing um, some of the weirdest symptoms present in our dog. And I also wanted to let you guys know the Nevada Department of Agriculture did soil samples in our backyard because we filed a complaint because of pesticide drift while the product was being sprayed and they found three plants in our backyard that had possible herbicide damage. So they tested those plants and they found that they did contain low levels of glyphosate. In our eyes, it looks like the spraying that was happening behind our house and that spray drifting into our backyard. To us, that seems like that would be pesticide drift, but because the product is legal and because it was a legal amount found in our backyard, there's nothing we can do about it. We've never used those products before in our backyard.
0: Here are the take-home messages from this multi-episode podcast on toxic lawn chemicals. One, all of the currently in use pesticides, those that target weeds, those that target fungus, those that target insects, are toxic. They are toxic to you, your kids, and neighbors, your pets, and the wildlife in the environment in and outside of your yard. Two. By applying these chemicals, you destroy the health of the soil in your yard, poison the water in streams, lakes, and even drinking water. Over time, your yard becomes a toxic wasteland, dependent on ever more chemicals to keep the grass green and a monoculture. This wasteland is harmful to birds, mammals, pets, and people. 3. These chemicals remain in the world, even in the air and the rain, for decades, harming the planet's living systems for generations. Four, the misinformation and outright manipulation of, quote, so-called science by the law and chemical industry needs to be called out and pressure needs to be put on lawmakers and regulatory agencies to get rid of these toxins. So what can we do about the poisons in our midst? Avoid the temptation to have an immaculate monoculture lawn and do not apply pesticides or fertilizers to your lawn. Do not buy these toxic chemicals from the store. Spread the word to your neighbors and friends. Maybe contact your lawn care store or company and request they stop using and selling these poisons. Ask them to provide the documentation about any chemicals they are using so you're aware of the risks. Certainly don't let your kids play on toxic lawns or yards. Consider contacting your school administration and request they stop applying pesticides to their grounds. The same goes for your town park service and local golf courses. You also can educate yourself and find support from organizations like Beyond Pesticides, the Natural Resources Defense Council, or the Pesticide Action Network. These organizations are actively making public the risks of pesticide and pesticide use practices like spraying beside roads or on playgrounds and schools. And they also promote safe non-chemical approaches to pest management. Here are a few things you, you might think about as you think about your lawn without pesticides. First of all, what's so bad about dandelions and clover? Dandelions only bloom for a few weeks in the spring. You can cut your lawn more often during those weeks. Clover and dandelions are crucial for bees and other good insects, so don't kill them off. Another thing is that ticks are not very sensitive to pesticides, so using spraying to keep ticks off your pets is not the way to go. Instead, pet your pet after walks and feel for ticks. It's not fun, but it's also not harmful to you, your pet, and the environment around you. Another thing is that using pesticides to kill mosquitoes by spraying your lawn is not effective. Mosquitoes lay their eggs in still standing water, so empty pots and containers and be vigilant about standing water. If we have a healthy environment, birds and bats that eat insects will lend a hand. There are lots of other safe and tailored ways to handle particular insects that give you grief. I would encourage you to plant more flowers and shrubs and reduce the overall space you're devoting to grass lawn expand the mulching around trees or plant understory plants and flowers and lastly try to accept that we share our land water and air with other animals and that we need their diversity and their activities to make our own lives healthier and our environment rich and beautiful you can have a lawn that's rich with biodiversity and beauty you can plant native plants expand your flower gardens with native flowers Your yard will be much more beautiful and an oasis for the wildlife in your neighborhood. This is Kate Sussman. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode of Toxic Lawn, where we'll explore the toxic assaults from the lawn equipment we use. Lawn mowers, gas-powered weed whackers, and gas-powered leaf blowers. The music for today's show comes to you from Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com and some of the sound effects from freesound.com as well as YouTube. Thanks for joining.